0: We're looking at uh, verses 21 to 23 this morning. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. All right. I want to begin uh, my comments uh, this way. Looking at the context and what we've been studying here, and we we can go back uh, uh, ahead of where we're at today, and we talked about being aware of false prophets in verse 15. We're going to be in verse 21 to 23 this morning. And having told us as believers that we will know the true believer by their fruits, what they produce out of their life, and what the fraud is by his fruits and what he produces. What we're looking for is the difference between good fruit and bad fruit. We need to know something about evaluating fruit as well. Sometimes fruit looks good on the outside, and it is what we expect, but it may turn out to be rotten, and I'm going to say wicked on the inside, uh, to its core. And sometimes, uh, Noel and I eat a lot of blueberries, and it just seems like it's almost impossible to get a, a you know a little plastic thing, those blueberries, where they aren't already mushy and stuff. And that's not the way I like my blueberry in the morning. I had some this morning with my oatmeal, and uh, I like it crisp, and I like it fruitful and, and tasting good. And sometimes you have to bite into something before you can find out what it really is. And we need to really check out the quality of the fruit when it comes to a false teacher or any teacher. And the false prophet, as it's talked about in the New Testament, may be turning out huge amounts of spiritual fruit, just like a false teacher would, and claim that it's all from God. So everybody that stands up to teach God's word, they don't stand up and say, hey, I'm about to lie to you, I'm about to tell you stuff that isn't true. I'm about to, you know, lead you down the wrong path. No, they say, here's the truth. Now, I know, I know what God's word says, but you need to interpret it this way, and it's not really what it says in the text. And that happens all the time every Sunday in thousands of churches all over the world. Um, somehow we think that if we experience supernatural power through a person, a teacher, or a prophet, claiming to be a believer, that it must be of God. Sometimes we think that if somebody exhibits spiritual power and they do a miracle or something like that, it has to be of God. There's no other way that that could happen, and so we need to accept that person as a true prophet or true teacher. We uh, shouldn't question it, we think, because we saw the power of God. We don't want to go against God. But I wonder, has it ever occurred to you or occurred to us that believers, true believers, can do works of Satan as well as unbelievers? True believers can get caught up in doing works of Satan just like unbelievers can. Have we considered that believers can give ground in their lives, a base of operation in their lives, to the enemy of our souls through sin? Have we reconciled with the fact that not everyone who says that he or she belongs to Jesus really does? Just because someone says they're a Christian or or tells you that they are does not mean that they are a Christian or that the miracles that they are producing are really from God. There is more that we have to look to in a person's life rather than just the performance of miracles, just to go to the nth degree of of that illustration. Isn't it interesting that when giving us the requirements for elders in the Bible in the New Testament church that he lays out for us in uh, 1 Timothy chapter three and Titus chapter one and two, uh, isn't it interesting that one of the things Paul does not mention is that an elder of the church has to do attesting miracles to the fact that they're a great spiritual leader. You can't find that in the text, it's not there. And he says, here's what I want to be leaders of the church. And one of the things that is not mentioned is that they must do great miraculous things and be able to do miracles. Now the apostles did great and miraculous things and they raised people from the dead, they healed, healed, healed people from the sick, but it's not a requirement in there. Uh, those passages have to do with the way we live and our godly character, and that's what I want us to focus on this morning. Uh, what we do when we're trying to find out who is true and who is false is it's better not to gauge somebody on the miracles that they do or uh, the close walk with God that they say they have. Uh, some people say, well, I speak in tongues, so I must be close to God, or I prophesy, I must be close to God. No, that's not ac- actually true. It doesn't, it doesn't always follow, and this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. So I want us to understand that just because somebody says they are something does not mean that they really are, not in God's book. So Jesus, if you look at the text in verse 15, said, beware of the false prophets who come to you and they're dressed like sheep, but they're really wolves down inside. And so we can't go by outward appearance in terms of what they really are. And then he says in verse 21, and now our text for this morning, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. In other words, there are people in the world that are crying out, Jesus, Jesus, or Lord, Lord, or, or God, my Father, my Father, and they don't belong to God. They don't belong to Jesus. They don't belong to our Lord. And God is going to tell them such. So in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, many. I don't know how much many is, but it's a lot, Right? Many will say to me on that day, what day? Judgment day. Lord, let's, uh, they're saying, let's stop and take an inventory here. Uh, we're at our judgment day, and they're going to say this question to him, and what they say is, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Now, you would think of prophecy as a miracle, where the Spirit of God comes on somebody and gives them the words to say, and then they say those words, and they're right from God. Uh, it's prophecy that's in the Bible, and so it's as good as Scripture. Lord, wait a minute, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we cast out demons? You know what that also means? It means there's people out there exercising demons who are not really exercising demons, but they think they are, because Satan doesn't cast out Satan, and these people are going to turn out to be false, but to them it looks like they're casting out demons and in your name perform many miracles. So now we have the miraculous works of power, things that, you know, in nature you don't see because they don't occur that way, and it takes the power of God for them to occur. So look at that. They're saying uh, to the Lord, they're saying, Lord, Lord, uh, here's proof of our relationship with you. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name, and in your name we perform many miracles. And I want you to understand that Jesus is talking about real things, all right? These things that they do, uh, they're not not fake miracles. They're really miracles. Uh, Something happened that isn't demonstrable in science. Something happened. This guy was not able to walk, and now he's able to walk. And uh, this person did it. But look at Jesus' response. This is scary. And then I will declare to them, all right? So they're at judgment. They're saying, Lord, uh, before you go on with the judgment here, don't forget, we prophesied in your name. Uh, we did miracles in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And Jesus says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Jesus, are you not listening? Uh, we said, we prophesied in your name. We said that we cast out demons in your name. And in your name, we did many miracles. And Jesus is now saying, get away from me, depart from me. He means to the fires of eternal hell, you who practice lawlessness. So these miracles that they claim, this prophecy they said they had, those kinds of things, and uh, also uh, casting out demons, those were all wicked. How could they be wicked? Because they didn't happen by the power of God. That's why they're wicked. And Jesus is saying, this was not of me. You can't take a rubber stamp and put your name on my things that aren't true. You can't put my name on miracles that didn't come from my power and say that you belong to me. Get out of here, depart from me. And I, I personally think that angels will escort people to the lake of fire and throw them in and get away from me. I don't know you. I don't, I don't even know who you are. I have no intimate relationship with you at all. Now, that's where we're headed in our text this morning. So if you're following along in your bulletin, point number one, verse 21, only those who, will, who do the will of the Father will enter into heaven. See, there's something different about what these people are doing and what God's true servant would do. And what's happening is they're not doing the will of the Father. How so? Well, just because you say you prophesied in God's name doesn't mean you really did. Just because you do a miracle in God's name doesn't mean you really did it Uh, By God's power just because you uh, confronted a demon and you think you cast it out you really didn't because it wasn't by God's power so uh, the first thing I'd like to talk about is we will know the false prophet by the fruits that he or she produces we will know what they really are by what they produce we must know that the fruits of the person's life encompass more than just speaking for God casting out demons and doing miracles. Perhaps the greatest element when looking at fruit, the uh, things that somebody produces, of a person is to obey God, is to obey God. Every false teacher in my day who's been exposed publicly, who was on TV and did things they shouldn't do, every single one of them were cast out of what they were doing because they were disobeying the Lord. Most of them, moral failure, and they got caught in some motel with a prostitute, and now it's a big problem, right? It's a big problem, and he should have been there. And it's a disobedient act on their part that exposes what they're really like. Does the person do what God tells him or her to do? Does he or she live in a way that pleases God when they're not in front of the cameras or in front of people? Does he or she exhibit the fruits of the Spirit of God? Uh, Is there love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, peace, kindness, those kinds of things? Is that really flowing from them? If he or she is confronted with sin, well, then how do they respond to that? Is there a repentant heart or is there a denial or is there a a denial of guilt or of shame and responsibility to repent? Are they willing to repent of their sin? No, not, not normally they're not. Uh, I found here, I'm quoting Dr. Blomberg three times this morning. Uh, He must have struck a note with me here when I studied this. His first quote is this. Claims of relationship to Christ. Now, what he means is claims that you belong to Jesus Christ, that you're one of his children, that you are, are a true child of his. He says claims of a relationship to Christ must be authenticated with obedience. Must be authenticated with obedience. In other words, if you claim to know Christ and claim that you're a member of Christ's family but you don't obey Christ, Dr. Blomberg is saying the Bible teaches you don't belong to Christ, period. That's a, that's a pretty tough statement. We wrongly assume, I, I don't think by that that I meant that he was wrong, I don't mean that. We wrongly assume that only the truly spiritual among us can do miracles. So if he can do that, everything else in his or her life must be good as well. If we see something we can't explain and it's miraculous and it's not able to be reproduced by science and they can't do it, so it has to be otherworldly that that must come from God. That must be where it happened from. And the answer to that is no, it doesn't necessarily mean it's from God. Everything else in that person's life may not be good. Uh, we so the answer to our question is, uh, do we just assume that? No, that's wrong. We don't just assume they're of God because they did some miracle. That's not necessarily the case. So Jesus in this text is warning us about putting all of our uh, evaluational eggs, if you will, in the same basket. Just because someone says Lord, Lord, just because someone says Jesus, Jesus, just because someone cries out to God, just because they say we used to talk about you all the time, Uh, we said that before we did our works of of faith and miracles and and casting out of demons, Lord, Lord. Just because they say that, just because they use Jesus' name and say I pray to Jesus all the time does not mean that person is rightly related to the Lord Jesus. They're just using his name to make us think that they are. We've all heard people say, uh, do this, uh, they pay respect to someone that they really don't respect. I think we've all seen that. If you've been in the, in the workplace uh, for any time at all, you have probably have seen that. I know I have many, many times. An employee will go about around the uh, business there, like in one of the uh, white stores that I worked at, and they'll go all over the place and they'll uh, be uh, working and they're bad-mouthing one of their managers or their boss uh, to the rest of us employees. But when you watch them, when the boss doesn't have their back to them, they're being very nice and showing great respect and talking about what a great manager uh, that boss actually is. And it's all fake. It's a fraud. Uh, It's not really what's in their heart. And that's what Jesus is talking about. People know you can't gain a following in the church. And by the way, there's lots of people that use the church just to make money. And they feel like that's a great way to make money. And that's all it's about. People know you can't gain a following in the church if you show up with a wolf's clothing on. So you got to put on the sheep's clothing. And they know how to appear and to be sincere uh, on the outside and how to act like they're godly when they are in fact enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. i remember, never uh, forget I had uh, in another town, I had a group of men stop in a car, there was three of them, and they came in, and they were saying, oh, Brother Hubbard. I, I said, how would you know my name? Well, it's on the sign out there. Okay. Brother Hubbard, uh, we're, we're a group of Christian men, and we're trying to get to the East Coast because we all have a job there, and we are out of money, and uh, we, would, we would like to have some money. And I, and I said, well, can I talk to you about Christ? He said, no need. We all know Jesus as our Savior. It's not a problem. Uh, you don't need to tell us about that. I, okay. All right. Uh, we need some money. So I gave him I think, 40 bucks. And I said, here you go, because they're going to eat at McDonald's, we had, And it's going to cost about that. Isn't it expensive now at McDonald's? Well, Anyway, that's another sermon. Uh, The point is this. uh, I happened to go to that McDonald's and eat that day. And there they were sitting and didn't see me there. And they were cussing up a storm and they were laughing how I uh, gave them what they wanted and and, uh, all this Jesus junk. And they didn't use the word junk and all that stuff. And they were complete God-haters. But they knew how to act around me and everything. You know, oh, yeah, we know Jesus, our Savior. We know all that stuff. Yeah, hand over the cash. Right? Well, uh, they are enemies of the cross. They are not believers. Dr. Blomberg, we'll hit it here uh, for him a second time. Uh, you have to really pay attention. This is uh, detailed. And I quote The call to righteousness encompasses personal virtue, private devotion, and unselfish social behavior. And to these things, seemingly supernatural powers are incidental, are incidental. He's saying, in the life of Christ, so far, he says, what really counts is personal virtue. In other words, I'm faithful and true about my relationship to God. Private devotion, unselfish social behavior. And he says, to these things, seemingly supernatural powers are incidental. In other words, they're not the main focus. He goes on to say, It is also interesting that prophecy, exorcisms, and miracle workings all characterize charismatic activity, which has a tendency, uh, he says, by no means universal. uh, He's not saying everybody in there is a fraud, but he says they have, uh, by no means universal, to substantiate, I'm sorry, to substitute enthusiasm and the spectacular for more unglamorous obedience in the midst of suffering. But these external demonstrations prove nothing. In other words, they get together, they focus on the miraculous, and somebody's speaking in tongues, and somebody's prophesying, and somebody has a healing ministry, and all that stuff, and and we focus on that, and we're not focused on what we really need to be focused on. I think that's a good uh, thing for us to uh, put under our hats and keep. What we are to understand is that doing the Father's will means we do what Jesus says, and we live the way he wants us to live. Not doing the will of the Father means that this person will not be entering the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at a couple of places that say that, okay? Matthew chapter uh, 12, verse 50, which is uh, noted in your bulletin there. Matthew 12, 50. Jesus was out working with the disciples, and his mom and his brothers show up, and they tell him, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are here. And Jesus uh, asked them, who is, who is my brother, who is my mother? Then he answers that question in verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my, my brother and sister and mother. In other words, Jesus is saying, you wanna prove you're mine? You wanna prove that you belong to me? Then what I wanna see from you is that you do the will of my Father in heaven, whatever that is, that's gonna take obedience. Then look at Luke 6, verse 46. Luke 6, 46. Jesus asked this question of the people listening. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Interesting, that's exactly what we're talking about in our text, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So Jesus is expecting, if you're going to use his name, and you're going to call out his name, and you're going to say, Lord, Lord, you have to be doing what he tells you to do. And if you're not doing what he tells you to do, the issue in our text in Matthew is you don't belong to him. That's pretty serious stuff. That's something every one of us has to look into our hearts and ask ourselves, am I really doing what Jesus asked me to do? In verses 22 to 23, back in our text in Matthew chapter 7, the last two verses there for us today, We learned that many religious people, and I want you to know why there's a big difference between religious people and people who know Jesus as their savior. Many religious people will find themselves separated from God on judgment day. Religion is something I'm against because in our society, religion is us reaching to God. That's not religion. True religion is God reaching to us because without God's help and without God's power, that relationship is never gonna happen. Many religious people, then, will find themselves separated from God on Judgment Day. So I want to look at the first part of verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. And then they're going to lay out their resume. On that day refers to the day of each person's judgment on Judgment Day. Yes, Christians will go through judgment and be judged for their works that they did in the name of Jesus, not for their salvation. Non-believers will go through judgment. They're going to be judged for the things that they did and said and their motivation. Then they're going to end up in a place called the lake of fire. For the believer, it is a judgment over the works that he or she did in the name of Christ as his child. It's not for salvation. For the unbeliever, it will be what leads to his or her eternal separation from God and the assigning of their place in the lake of fire. Horrible stuff. The next part of verse 22, where they lay out their resume. There are those who call Jesus Lord. That's the issue. When I, when I in those days, in Jesus' days, would say, uh, Jesus is my Lord, what I'm saying is that he is my master. I have a relationship with him, and it's a real relationship. And they're showing respect to the authority that Jesus is. Those, there are those who call Jesus Lord, but give him no place of lordship in their lives. Now what I never tell somebody is that you need to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. Those are two different issues. I tell them you need to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if you really meant that, then you also need to make him Lord of your life. I don't want them thinking that his Lordship is what brings me from from eternal death to eternal life. I want them thinking it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings us from uh, going to hell into going to heaven. But it's up to each believer to make Jesus the Lord of their life, and there is no set standard for that, except in the Word of God. Some people do better than others, but that doesn't mean they uh, are closer to God than others who don't. They all know Jesus as their Savior, and that's what I'm trying to say. But people who uh, call Jesus Lord and don't give him mastery in their life or lordship in their life, don't bow to his desires and his wishes, uh, they are treating him disrespectfully, by calling him master, and then not doing what they're supposed to do. And in Jesus' day, that's just about every Pharisee, you see, and the members of the Sanhedrin. And they do it to God the Father, and Jesus said, you do it to God the Father. You do all these things, and when we get to Matthew 23, talk about a scathing rebuke of religious leaders, Jesus Christ is going to lay it out for us, and he has nothing good to say about the religious leadership of his day because they are more interested in looking good to people than they are looking good to God. And that's a real problem. Those are people who pray Lord Jesus who don't know the Jesus that they say they serve. First John, chapter two and verse 19. Boy, John in in the uh, epistles in the back here. John, wow. He really lays out uh, in kind of of a scary way whether we belong to Jesus or not. And it says in 1 John two nineteen, 19, uh, John's talking about people that were in the church, the body of Christ, but they left. He says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. So John is talking about people in a certain church, they came to the church and then they left. And John says the reason they left is because they didn't really belong to Jesus Christ. They didn't belong to us. Those who belong stay and worship Jesus. Those who don't, oh, they nitpick at the word of God. Well, God says my hair length has to be this way, and I can't use this word that I like to use, and I can't go this place I like to go, and all this stuff, and I don't buy it, so I'm out of here. It's not about obedience at all with them. Many people also, just like Satan does, masquerade, put on a front, wear a costume, as believers, and they are not believers. And God knows those who are really his. It says in the book of Second Timothy, chapter two, nineteen. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord, meaning Jesus, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So he's using the same thing Jesus is teaching in Matthew 7. If you're going to call me Lord, then you better be somebody who does what I tell you to do. If you're calling me Lord and you don't, you don't belong to me. That's serious stuff. Then the last movement in verse 22, I'm calling it 22C, we can't help but notice that the evidence that they put forward for their genuine uh, claim on being a believer, what they think is genuine, it really sounds impressive, doesn't it? How many of us could walk up to somebody and say, you know, in the Lord Jesus' name, let me tell you some of the things I've done, and they are, I prophesied in his name, I cast out demons in his name, and also I perform many miracles. You know, in the Catholic Church, you can't be a saint unless you can prove you perform some miracles, right? Pretty impressive. Sounds impressive. Well, that person must be spiritual. That person must be a a man or woman of God. Look at what they did. Well, they prophesy in his name. We automatically think there must be the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in them. But we would be wrong, Jesus says. Not everybody says, I got this word from the Spirit of God and says it, is actually speaking for the Spirit of God. We'd be wrong in that case. In his name, they say, we cast out demons. We went to war with the enemy of our souls, and we won, and we kicked him out. We automatically think that Satan can't be against Satan, so this also must be by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we forget about the trickery of Satan. We forget about false miracles of Satan. We forget about him trying to uh, make, make false religion look like true religion and counterfeit true religion. And of course Satan is going to lend uh, people power to make them think they did things that they didn't do. And that's what's happening. They do many miracles in his name. Since Jesus is getting credit for the miracle, they must truly be of God, Right? Wrong, Jesus says. That's not what we measure by. We must conclude that Satan is a counterfeiter of religious miraculous power. We have to know the difference between the true power of God and the counterfeit power because they look to be the same. And so it causes a problem. Matthew 24, 24 says this. For false Christs and false prophets will arise. And this is in a passage in Matthew that's talking about the end of days. False prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. In the middle of the tribulation, people are going to be doing miracles and they're going to be speaking of God, it looks like. And they do these great signs and people think, well, they must be of God. Let's Let's go follow them. And they're not of God at all. Now, I'd like you to look at Revelation 13 with me along these same lines because this problem uh, doesn't go away till the new heavens and the new earth, not, not totally. So in Revelation 13, 11 to 18, all right, so uh, we are talking about things like the Antichrist and here we're talking about the beast from the earth and another beast who is the false prophet And the false prophet comes along and does all these great miracles uh, to to authenticate the Antichrist, that he's the real deal, and you should worship him. That's what the false prophet does. And he has all these miracles and things that he does to lead people astray. So we're in the middle of that in this text, and it says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. The the first beast is the Antichrist. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. that would be like Satan. He exercises all the authority of the first beast, that's the Antichrist, in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. So there's going to come a day in the tribulation where the false prophet is going to push people to bow down to the Antichrist and worship him. And by the way, they're going to find out if you really worship Antichrist, uh, then you're going to get the mark of the beast, which will probably be some kind of a semiconductor chip in the hand or the forehead to show that you belong to him. And you won't be able to buy or sell anything unless you say, I have allegiance to the Antichrist. Who's going to declare that he's also God? Anyway, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed, which leads us to believe that the Antichrist is uh, killed in a battle and somehow he's raised again to life, but not by the power of God, by the permission of God, but not by the power of God. And Everybody says, well, if something like that so great happened to this guy, he must be deity, and he's going to even say, I want you to worship me like I'm God. Look at, look at verse 13, the, the, the other beast, the uh, false prophet. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven. You know, just like with uh, Elisha, uh, when that happens, it's going to look like that. He makes fire come down from heaven and the er- and, and I'm sorry, to the earth in the presence of the men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs. See, signs can be deceptive, which was given to him to reform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast. ...who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. So they make a, a like an idol a beast and it comes to life. So that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So now your life is on the line if you've trusted Christ in those days and you don't follow the beast. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, so those are two opposite extremes to mean everybody and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is the wisdom. Let him who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man. The number is 666. Some of the... uh, drawings that came out of prison that I've identified for police forces of demonic stuff all have buried in them somewhere 666. Some of them it's covered with it, but, but 666. In another place, the police used to take a picture of things under the viaduct and come and say, what is this? And, you know, That's a satanic symbol. What's it mean? We go through that. Um, this symbol is going to be on your hand or your forehead. And I don't know if it's something they're going to scan or if it just is a mark, whatever it's going to be, If you don't have that, you don't buy and you don't sell, which means you starve to death unless Jesus takes care of you in some way, and Jesus promises he'll take care of those people that come to Christ in the tribulation. So friends, don't be fooled. He told us this stuff would be taking place. People can be in full-time ministry that are posing as true followers of God and are authenticated supposedly by great power, but it isn't God's power. Jesus will declare in verse 23, those outside his family uh, to remove themselves from his presence, they will be removed. What is really going on, no matter how the deeds of the unbelievers look, they are accomplishing lawlessness and disobedience to God. I've told you that there's no chapter in the Bible that has more to say about false teachers Then Jeremiah chapter 23, I want to read a couple of verses, Jeremiah 23, 21, because this is what they're going to be like and what some people are today. I did not send these prophets, Yahweh says, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. So they're self-motivated in their uh, their lies. And then in verse 32. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares Yahweh, and related them and led my people astray by their falsehood and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them nor command them, nor do they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares Yahweh. The false teacher will give you no benefit for eternity or for life now. God says, I didn't send them. They speak out of the imaginations of their own heart, and they do not furnish any benefit for the people of God who are trying to follow God, and that's us. Well, this is an indication of the true spiritual condition of the false teacher and prophet. They do not know Jesus. They are unsaved, they're unregenerate. The end of verse 23, the bottom line is that Jesus said, I never knew you. And now that doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't somehow aware of their existence or that he didn't know where they were on earth, that's not what he's saying. He knew everything about them. They're being judged out of the books that are written about everything in their life. He knows them better than anybody else. What he's saying is, get out of my presence. I never had an intimate relationship with you. That's what the word know means in the Bible. To know somebody means to have an intimate, open, honest relationship with them. Jesus said, I had none of that with you. I don't know you. And the angels of God will carry them uh, to the place of the lake of fire in those days. It means, then, that Jesus never had an intimate relationship with them. The kind of relationship that can only come by personal faith in Jesus for salvation. We do that from our heart, by faith. Someone said, we need a personal relationship with Jesus, not merely an awareness of facts. Did you know Jesus died on the cross for you? Yeah, sure. Do you believe it? No, I think you probably did. Are you trusting that for your salvation? Oh, that's a different issue. You can't be a Christian just by knowing the right facts. That's not what it's about. It's about a relationship. They didn't really obey Jesus. That's the bottom line. That's what he says, and that's that's how we need to leave it. You who practice lawlessness. Your works were false. They were of the devil. They weren't of me. I don't know you. They did not, they did not bow to or concern themselves with giving respect to and obeying the commands of God. Their destiny... Is one pointed out in, these, in, in verse 19? There's a caution again. This is my last quote from Dr. Blomberg. Here's this caution: It is worth emphasizing, however, that one can never know with absolute certainty the spiritual state of any other individual. We need to keep that in mind. All right? We need to keep it in mind. We're not God, but we ought to be able to tell the kind of fruit that somebody has. Ultimately, and I have this in quote marks, but I didn't put down who said it, so it's not mine. But ultimately, God will judge the secrets of a person's soul. But if there is defiance of God and a life of disobedience, we can be fairly sure of the reality that they either don't belong or they do belong. Let's look at our applications, and then we'll be done. Number one. This passage teaches us that not everyone who claims to be a Christian or a Christian leader or teacher or whatever else is really a Christian. We don't take their word for that. We take their life for that. Secondly, not everyone who prays our prayers, sings our songs, or leads Christian Bible studies is a genuine believer. So that's why Jesus warned us. They will come like sheep, or wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. Make sure I said that right. They look like sheep on the outside. They're not. Watch their teaching. Watch their life. Number three, not all displays of spiritual power are from the Holy Spirit of God. Do I believe there's power in false, false religions? Absolutely I do. Do I believe that demons can do miracles? Absolutely they can heal people. Do I believe that demons can make things appear and disappear? Of course they can. Do I believe demons can talk to a person inside their head? Sure they can. And they know what you're thinking. They're spiritually powerful beings. Some of them are very divine-like, although they are not God. Those in the Council of the Gods in Psalm 82. He says, I've called you gods. Little g gods. But you're going to die like men because you didn't do what you're supposed to do. Which means they're really not God. There's power in false religions, and people like to get it, manipulate it, cast spells on others, and send curses on others, and hurt people, and that all is everything we're against. And finally, spiritual power is real, even if it comes from a demonic source, and that's what I was trying to set up with my comments. In other words, we have to understand, just because it looks supernatural doesn't mean it's of God. Just because it looks spiritual doesn't mean it's spiritual. We need to be prepared to test the spirits. Now, I believe that the uh, miraculous sign gifts have ceased for today, but I believe God could do any one of them if he wanted to, any time he wanted to, but it wouldn't be a a normal, uh, we would call that a normal charismatic gift. Some people think it's, it's for today. What I don't like about that is that they never test the spirits. They never say, is that really a spirit of God or is that the spirit of God? Uh, they don't They just let things go in, in those groups. Right in the middle of their favorite passage, 1 Corinthians 14, where they're talking about speaking in tongues and prophecy and healings and all that stuff, right in the midst of it, look what it says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse uh, 29. It says um, in, in, t- in talking about tongues and prophecy, it says in verse 29, "Let two or three prophets speak and let others pass, Judgment. Let others pass judgment. We don't just sit in church and somebody breaks into a tongue or something like that, and we don't judge. Did that come from God or did it come from a spirit trying to deceive us? Huh. I don't see that going on in their in their places. Well, it's a pastor; it must be of God. Not really. And then First John four one to four, which is uh, when I'm with somebody and we're, we're testing whether something. Uh, that they believe they've heard came from God or not, we use this because we're commanded to because God knows we can be deceived. 1 John 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Okay, that's a command, but test the spirits. Now, who told us that? God did, so it's okay if we do that to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus uh, Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That word confess is important. It means to confess your love and allegiance. Demons can't do that to God. And every spirit that does not confess, same word, Jesus, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard is coming, and now it's already in the world. The spirit of defy God, don't love God, uh, go against God, hate God, that spirit's already here. Uh, He says, for for you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a world where lots of people are claiming to speak for you. Sometimes uh, they do, and sometimes they don't. And we want to be able to tell the difference between what comes from you and what does not come from you. And whether we ought to be listening to a certain person or a certain Bible teacher or a radio program or whatever it is. Or we should not be listening. I pray that you would give us discernment as people of God. That we would take the things you've told us and not be duped by a miracle. Not be duped by some uh, miraculous sign that looks like it must be the power of God. Uh, Somebody was healed. It has to be good. When you already told us, not, not necessarily so. We don't want to be uh, children that are foolish. We want to be mature in our faith and be those who cling uh, to the truth of God. Let us look further into obedience and let us be obedient. And we ask that that would be our desire and that you would encourage us in that. In Jesus' name I pray, on behalf of us, amen.